You know, most of the time I'm so excited about my message that I just jump right into it and I forget to pray, at least pray corporately. But I feel tonight, especially given the message that I have to release to you tonight, that we should pray (laughs) and that we should really come into that place where we absolutely know that we love our pastor and that we really believe that he hears from God and that what he has to say is really good and we should just make, just, let's just make a decision that we believe that. No, in, in actual fact, some of the things I want to share because tonight, because I feel like it is very important that we have some understanding of these things. What I really need is I need the grace that comes from you guys to be able to talk through this stuff. And believe with me as we are really, I'm, what I'm really desiring to do, because I've taught a lot of, a, a fair amount of this material before, but I don't really know that because we, 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 you know, we really want to talk about really all the, all the good stuff. Not that this isn't good stuff. Everything comes from God's good. But sometimes there is a season where we have to be able to discuss things that are, you know, a little bit more sobering. Thank you for the word. It's a little bit more serious about what it really means to walk this way. What I discovered is if we don't, understand this material here. And I can say, by the, time, by the time we get to September, we are going to be in the discussion about the cycle of faith and how faith works so that we can work it. And then as you work the system, just like electricity or you know, internal combustion or nuclear power, whatever, once we start to work it, it works. The problem is, is that a lot of people didn't learn this part and then step into the faith part, it's kind of like trying to use an internal combustion engine but not ever believing in gasoline, right? We just keep cranking it over and cranking it over and cranking it over and cranking it over and you say, this engine doesn't work. 50 years, somebody comes along and says, did you actually put gas in the tank? What? Because this is the, this is the key. The reason that, that in the early days, the the terminology that we used in the early church for the kingdom of God was the great confession. That's what they called it, or the confession. The reason that they did that was because this teaching was the most important teaching. This teaching was the, what, they, what most people, when they first came to the kingdom, this is what they learned. Because they, we realized in the early days when Jesus was talking to us and then the early apostles, we learned that what you say out of your mouth has ultimate authority over your life. And if we don't learn to do that, if we don't understand the journey, I'm not trying to be the confession police for you. I'm not going to follow you home and videotape you necessarily. But <laughs> what we need to do is we need to understand this amazing mechanism that God has given us as human beings. But what happens to us, as I've said this before, is that if, you just, if we just totally pretend that what we say out of our mouths doesn't matter, what happens is we divide into two groups of people, maybe even two groups times two groups. We divide the introverts from the extroverts, and we divide the feelers from the thinkers. And each one of those groups of people begin to use their words in a a, sort of like, okay, this is who I am. Extroverts say things they don't mean. Introverts don't say the things that they mean. Either one of those is wrong. 
Emotional people talk out of their emotions, which could be very damaged. And intellectual people talk out of their thoughts, which could be very realistic, very real, very factual, which are both wrong. And so you can develop all kinds of permutations and combinations of who that, what, what that person will say based on whether they're introvert or extrovert, when there's a there's hundred of these lines, remember. But each one of us have the places where we can be out of the, on the, this huge circle of fringe of how we use our words instead of we have to come back to the very beginning. Doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Doesn't matter whether you're a sensor or a perceiver or a judger or a whatever. You can go on and on and on. You may be an ox or a lion or a otter or, or a, you know, you could be a choleric or you could be a sanguine or you could be, I don't know, what test did you take? All of those are going to give you a perspective about how you will default in error in your confession. And people call this, well, this is just how I am. I'm I'm just a very emotional person. Well, I'm just a realist. Well, I'm just intellectual. Well, I'm just emotional. On and on and on they go. What do they do? Their soul is identifying and giving them a rationale by which they don't have to pay any attention to their confession. And the devil, I think, loves it. Particularly in our culture. Our culture is a very negative culture. I don't know if you, if you knew that. You know, go to somebody who doesn't go to victory and ask them, say, how are you? And what are they gonna say? How are they gonna express themselves? They're gonna say, not bad. Yeah, all right, been better. All kinds of these things, answers. But I remember one time I used to, used to use this word extraordinary. I've changed it up a little just to kind of get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of variety in my life. But I remember people, when I used to use that, people would say, how are you? Hey, how you doing? They didn't really expect me to answer. It was kind of like their way of saying hello. But I would seize the opportunity to say, you know, I'm ex- extraordinary. And it used to take people back. And I think they thought I was being arrogant. Some of them look at me like, yeah, dude, what's up with you, man? Because they're so used to, and we've done this too in the church. You know, I got a blessing today. Well, you, you say, tell what it is. Say how great your life is all the time. Don't just say, blessed and highly favored. Can you please? I'll slap you. <laughs> you have to be, listen. No, this is, this, is, this is, can I tell you why I change it up? I don't say extraordinary all the time. Do you know why I don't say extraordinary all the time? Because after a while, extraordinary didn't mean anything. It just beca- it becomes the same as not bad. It just, you sh- it, there should be a cognitive, this is what I'm working on right now, and I'm going to say these things on purpose. I'm going to connect my soul to the things that I'm saying so that it starts to develop imagery on the inside by which the words that I am saying take on three-dimensional Dolby Digital surround sound kind of an appearance on the inside of my being. And so a lot of times we get, we love these little cliches. And I mean, to say blessed and highly favored, if you really connect to those words, but really what you want to do is make an expression of what your expectation is of your day and allow that to be spoken out your mouth, particularly when you are with other people, but not exclusively. You're, you know, don't go into your prayer closet and say, blessed and highly favor, and come out and say, I'm, you know, I'm, now I'm looking for everybody's pity, right? We have become pity addicts, by the way, just to tell that you're, 
And so we talk like that. You know, I used to say this when we, I used to race, as I mentioned the other day, I used to race sailboats. And I remember Pastor Tina and I having discussion because, you know, you're surrounded by all these people who have these million dollar boats and all these kind of things that we, that we sail on. We did it for free. They had to pay. Well, it's just kind of like a good deal for me. But, you know, the thing was, you know, who, who here has money and who is mortgaged to the nines in order to buy their boat? And I said, you know, the simple lesson on the way to do that, people who say they have a lot of money don't, and those that say they don't have any money do, and just go with that. Because people always talk in the opposite direction. But the people who have a lot don't say they have a lot. And so they talk negative. No, well, you know, it's tough. You know, business has really been, you know, it's been really, I don't know, tax man, you know. Those guys have a lot of money. The people who complain about the tax man, they have a lot of money. <laughs> but they don't choose to say they have a lot of money. They choose to complain about how much they have to pay the tax man. You see how everybody just goes negative. And then the people who are on the other side of the boat talk negative. Oh, you know, away they go. Because we've been trained in these things of negatives. Yeah. And it's normal for human beings in our culture to talk about things in a negative way. Instead, we have to just remove ourselves from that equation. We've got this false humility thing that goes on even in the kingdom, where we don't want to talk about the blessings of God in our lives. What you need, to, and I'm not saying we should right now, because most of the things that we talk about that are blessings of God is just us manipulating our world, but... If you truly see a blessing of God, you're working on something by faith and that thing manifests in your life, you should be talking about, not just about the blessing, about what you learned on the journey towards that blessing. Can I tell you something? That is not prideful. I know that's going to mess with some of your mojos, but when Jesus was here, he talked a lot about how awesome he was. And he told his disciples you think I'm awesome? Okay, I need you to go that way and tell all those people how awesome you think I am. Jesus did that. Not because he was prideful, but because he wanted his life, which was powered by faith, by the word of God and by the kingdom of God, he wanted the visible evidence of the manifestation of the kingdom of God to be talked about everywhere. Do you know Jesus became more famous after he raised Lazarus from the dead? Did you know that? The crowds quadrupled in size. Jesus actually became more famous. Lazarus became more famous than Jesus. People used to come to the meetings not to see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus, the guy that was dead, and now he's alive. You see, human beings need to see the manifestation of the kingdom. Yeah. What's not on this board right now is how the kingdom of God works. Not mystic, his kingdom of God is not mystical. It works in a very specific way. Shall I stay on my notes so that we can somehow get through? Okay, so what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to st stay around on this confession curve that, we drew, that I drew the other day. Were you all here for that? If you weren't here, say aye. So this is the truth. <laughs> if you skip church, then you can, uh, you can identify yourself to the group. So this is the dis so what happens is is that we have two sides but you know everybody lives by faith right that's just the way it is you live by what you believe that was why Jesus came here because he wanted to show us how to change what we believe because he wants us to live in abundant empowered lives in order to do that he can't just do it he has to teach us how to change what we believe 
because what we believe produces our lives. Does everybody understand that much? And so what happens is, is that when we first come to the kingdom, we're down here in the deception part, and we have to make our way along this line as the, the grace line where the Holy Spirit shows us the truth, empowers us with the truth, and be, finally gets us to the place here where we believe the truth, and then that truth can continue to grow endlessly, actually. And so when we are dealing with this curve, a lot of people have really had difficulty with the whole concept of confession and what do we say and how do we say it, and we can get ourselves tied up in a lot of knots when it comes to our journey along this curve. And so the two things we want to talk about tonight, do you have those pictures, Caleb, did they actually come up? Uh, can you go to the one that's our, that our perspectives? That'll be the ones, those kind of funny pictures, you know, the Eiffel Tower and stuff. Are they here? Are they ready? Man, our AV department takes a lot of heat, eh? Is anybody back in the AV department? Okay, so here we are with perspective. Like, do you understand? Have you seen some of these things on your Facebook feed or whatever it is? where people have taken this picture and we're kind of showing the different perspective of the person who's close to the camera, person who's far away. Go ahead, guys. Is that the only one I have in that, in that box? Okay, so, well, this is the last one, but the important part about this is that this is God's perspective, right? Do you, do you, know, where, do you know where you are right now? You see, what it's important about our perspective is that our perspective as we look at a situation changes the nature of the situation. How many of you know that? When you have, if you have a bill that comes in the mail and it's a, 200, it's a $200 cell phone bill, if you have $1,000 in your pocket, your perspective on that bill is very different than if you have 50 cents in your pocket. Isn't that true? And your response to it very much determines what you say when you experience it. Do you understand? If I'm afraid of spiders, if I think that there's you know, a, black, a black widow spider loose in Fort Erie or whatever, then it's going to change my perspective on any spider that I see, even the ones that are yellow. That could be a black widow that's disguised himself as the yellow spider. And so I'm afraid of everything. And my perspective towards that little spider is completely uh, jaded now by the fact that I believe there's a black widow or whatever, recluse or whatever these things are loose in Fort Erie. Do you see this? You see what now? Remember how what I'm about to say about that situation is directly affected by my perspective of it. If I change my perspective, not the issue, not the spider. If I change my perspective, what I say will change. True? I am seated where? I'm sorry. In, can you go back to that picture? See, if I am seated in, he, not that one. If I am seated in heavenly places, then my perspective is this one. Oftentimes, I will do that. If I'm overwhelmed by the nature of it, I told you before, I go sit by the, by the lake. Do you know why I go, I go sit by the lake? Because for some reason, the lake makes me think about how big God is. Sometimes when I'm really close to something, it all looks very big. 
And I can look at my problem, and the problem can seem really big. I forget that this is God's perspective towards all of our lives. The whole sum total of all seven billion of us all look like this to God. But see, I'm seated next to him as he's doing this, looking at this. I need to make sure that my perspective on my situation is God's perspective. If I have God, if I just take a moment and I listen to God's perspective, maybe I don't know God's perspective, that's okay, make it up. But make, if you're gonna make up something, can I tell you something? Make it up good. This is, make it up abundant. Make it up healthy. Make it up strong. Our, our natural human tendency is to expect negative. We've been trained into, I mean, little kids aren't like that. Little kids just think money grows on trees, which we should think, by the way, since, of course, it's made out of paper. It's not even made on trees anymore. It's made with electronic circuits so small you couldn't see it with your, na- with your naked eye. It's so insignificant, but we treat it with such importance. It's perspective. But what I have to do is I have to change my perspective in that moment. And before I say anything out my mouth, I sit myself in heavenly places. I look at my problem from God's perspective. And I say that. Because people think I'm lying. I'm not lying. You know, if I'm humble, I, I, had, I hurt my ribs the other day. And, I, you know, I'm kind of crouched over like this. And people ask me, how, how are you doing? I say, I'm fine. Did you, did you go to the hospital? I don't need to go to the hospital. I did. I went today. But, you know, but I don't want to, you know, some people say, well, you're really going to hurt tomorrow. You know, it's no, I'm not. <coughs> now, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to lie to people. When you, when you really understand this, it's not a game anymore. It's not like this cool little Christian thing that we do. This governs life. I had a big roof to do. I can't get hurt. I can't, you know, no time for a body cast. So I got to keep going. And I'm not boasting about this. If you get the way the world works, you get the system, you don't mess with the system. I don't jump off buildings to see, you know, because I understand how gravity works. I don't take the, the, the white wire and the black wire in an electric circuit and put it on my tongue to test it. It's kind of silly when you think, well, yeah, what a knucklehead you'd do that. No, listen, if you use your tongue to curse yourself, that's what, that's what cursing is. Do you know what? I would rather a Christian letter rip with 17 four-letter swear words, like F words, can I tell you? Then I would like them to come to me and say, you know, oh my gosh, I'm getting old, holy Toledo, everything's falling apart, you know. <laughs> Because you have to understand, you're cursing. We've made vulgar. I don't think you should make, say vulgar words either. Find some other adjective other than that one that the, our world seems to love. Express your vocabulary. But don't curse yourself, which is what we do when we continually say things from our, pers- our perspective. The other thing that you're dealing with that causes the things, the words to come out of your mouth are your perception of things. So let's take a look at some of our perception pictures. 
And I want to draw your attention to a couple of really important things. What do you see in this picture? Does anybody know? You see an old man, perhaps? Right? Do you see a... a, a okay, do you, do you see... Okay. Now, let me tell you about... Don't, don't move on, guys, because I've got some really cool ones in here. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Okay. Take the picture. Take, can you take the picture off the wall? Because... Some of us are ADD when it comes to listening and looking at the same time. Nope, that's a bad confession. No, they're not. I take that back. Can I tell you, this is what you can do with some of these pictures. I want you to fight with the person beside you as you insist that there, one of you insists that there is an old man in that picture and one of you insists that it's a picture of a guy in a sombrero and a girl. I want you to fight with each other and like draw blood if you could, <laughs> insisting that your perspective, that the thing that you see is the right thing to see. Because right. what we should do is exercise some of that humanity that we have to just aggressively fight for our perspective. Hmm. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Because put that picture back up now. Because there's no doubt that I can see an old man in the picture. And there's no doubt that I can see the other perspective too. Or I could put the one up of the old lady, the little, the little chalk drawing. Can you do that one for me, Joe? See this one here? If you look at that picture, some of you are going to see an old lady with a big nose. And some of you can see like a socialite like a model. Can I tell you for the longest time, listen to me, for the longest time, I could not see the socialite. The young lady, can you see, who can see only one image? Okay. See, okay, I don't, no, thank you. Because now I don't feel so bad. The first time that I saw this picture, I was about 24 years old. And somebody was talking to me about perspectives. Okay, fine. Watch. Is there a pill for ADD or short attention span? We should get Dr. Ed Taros back so that I can get some more focus teaching in here. Okay. Everybody... The one picture, this is the mouth, that's the nose, that's her eyeball, and she's looking down at the floor. Does everybody see that lady? Hereafter known as the lady with the big nose. The other one, this is her eyelashes. She's looking backwards. This is her jawline here. That's her hair. This is her ear. You all got the second lady? Okay. Wow, this is a, just, a, just a tough job tonight. Okay. This was my problem back when I was about 24 years old. I couldn't see the young lady. I could see the old lady for sure. As a matter of fact, I was so captivated by the fact that I could see the old lady with the big nose that by seeing the old lady with the big nose, I couldn't see the other lady. What's the lesson? 
we can become so captivated by our perception. When God tries to show us a different perception, we can't even see it. I got so much pain going on in my body right now. I just, you know, you're, by your stripes I'm healed. Would you please get out of my way? I need the medicine jar. Where's that, you know? The truth comes, but I'm so consumed by the negative thing. I remember Pastor Gene used to do this all the time. We were going through financial stuff. This was, thank, God, thank goodness, a long time ago. And, you know, I'd get so mad at her. Let's just trust God. You know, as you say that one more time, it's just, I can't see the, real, the, 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 the scriptural reference because I'm so consumed with my perspective. The more consumed we become by our own perspective, the less likely we will be to see the other perspective. It's, you know, we're going to shake this up and we'll stir it up a whole bunch of times, but in the end, it's just pride. It's just your own stubborn ego that makes you stay where you are. And most of the kingdom is full of that stuff. Myself included, I fight with this all the time because I really do think that I'm right all the time. And you have to keep that always in front of you. What I perceive about, you know, this one quote that I had for you is that we don't, we don't see the situation as it really is. We see it as we are. And we have to always remember that. As much we would think that I see the situation exactly right, I almost, unless my perspective lines up with the word of God, which is our only, our only plumb line, it's it. There's only one plumb line. There's not even Ian, the great and mighty teacher of the word of God, because I make mistakes. We go in and we study the scripture because it's our only plumb line. We've even got away from that in our, in our, in our world. It's, you know, good teachers, which we should submit ourselves to all the time, come to church all the time, you know, you should do that. But you should go home and say, okay, I need to read my Bible for my onesie. I got to read it for myself. I got to, like, let the Lord speak to you, not just through another person. You should get somebody to, you can live so much more lives if you listen to the testimonies of other people's lives, like reading their books. But that's not your plumb line. Your plumb line is, is the book. Lay your perspective humbly. That's what I, I, if I got, if I would listen to my notes, just if I just get them in order, I wouldn't boss around so much. So perspective is really, let's see, the, we can see the rest of these because they're fun. Go ahead, Joe, put the rest of them in here so you can get them first. Y'all see that one? Isn't that cool? Okay, go ahead. See, that's harder, eh? Okay, go ahead. What do you see? How many of you see vases or columns? How many of you see people? Go ahead. What do you see? Okay, go ahead. Okay, that's what God sees. Right? That's... We, no, no. That was my, my punchline. I only see what God sees. I can't see anything. Oh, no, there isn't anything else there. So, 
Okay, so learning to, I mean, let me just, can I read my notes? Would you permit me that, so I can get, I don't want to have to come back to this teaching next week again, because that's what I did last week and I rambled around. Learning to treat your perception of reality with questionable confidence is the first level of humility that is required to enter the kingdom. Learning to treat your perception of reality with questionable confidence is the first level of the humility required to enter the kingdom. Remember that what Jesus said, if you, if you do not what? If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom. If you're not baptized in, by the Spirit and water, you cannot enter the kingdom. We're going to talk about some of those very complex scriptures, but they fit right onto this. If I'm not first willing to open my eyes and see the kids. The kingdom has always been on the earth. It was here before, right? God said, let there be light. Jesus said that light wasn't the sun, it wasn't the stars. That was the truth. That was the foundational programming of this natural world. That has always been here. The problem is we could not see it. You're going to meet somebody tomorrow who does not see the things that you see. They do not understand the things that you understand. Hurry along here, Ian. If your perception of the situation is different than God's, you are wrong. That's a difficult one, right? That's one of those rubber hit the road scriptures. You know, if, you, if, I, if I told you that being a doctor, all you had to do is fill out the book, that, that matchbook cover and send it away and they'll send you a, a, a certificate that you're a doctor now, can I tell you you're not a doctor? Somebody ought to have told you that it takes, I don't know, Joanna, how many late years it takes now, but 12 years of like intense study to be a doctor. If you want to walk by faith, I'm here to tell you, there's some things you got to do. There are some things that you're not predisposed to do as a North American Christian. This is the most important one. It's just that you've got to get the humility that says, if I disagree with God, I'm wrong. This is the ones I fear. It's not a different, you don't have a different perspective. So that's different, right? Well, Pastor Ian says to say this, but I just do it differently. Okay. You're allowed to do all these things. What you're doing is your soul is refusing to discipline itself. And you're saying, well, it's just because I'm different. My perspective is just different. Okay. But your perspective is Uh, my perspective is also a valid perspective. That's our world today. Tolerance, everybody's right kind of a thing, right? We've gone through an entire generation where one plus one equals whatever you like because I don't want you to feel bad. Whatever you think it is, dude, go with it. You ain't building a bridge that I'm going to ride on. But we've done that. We've made it so that Christianity is a bunch of also valid perspectives. You're, you're allowed, can I tell you? You can believe whatever you like. Even God wants, says you can believe whatever you like. But don't think believing the wrong thing gets you the right answer. That's the big thing. We just have to realize, do I want the journey? Do I want to be a doctor or not? If you want to be a doctor, you got to pass the test. You want to pass the test? Here's the test. That's how they do it, right? We ought to be treating it like that in the kingdom so that at least we understand what are we being asked to do? What is the journey for us as Christians? And then let's lock onto the journey and rather than what, see the problem, where is Penn? 
The problem with most Christians is they live here. This is what I call the pitiful one. Yeah, this is the land of misery, darkness. But how many of you would know, how many of you know that even if you stay at victory and you keep walking along here and you end up here, now let's not put victory, let's put don't quit here. If somebody were to just tell me here, is here, I'd keep going. If somebody would just tell me what it feels like to go along this curve here, which isn't so, isn't so awesome, that's why people quit. They quit down here. You don't quit up there, can I tell you something? You quit here. The problem is you know too much to quit really, you just stay there for your whole life. That's why, that's why I call them the pitiful ones because they're not enjoying their Christianity and they're not enjoying their life and they're not enjoying being a stinking, nasty, filthy sinner, which at least maybe has a little bit of fun to it, I guess. Because we haven't explained how the system works and that it's way better to live up here. That's why Jesus has changed the world because he lived up there. He just needs some of his, I want to be like Jesus people to get there. So it's not a different perspective. It's not an also valid perspective. It's not another way of looking at it perspective. It's all our soul trying to disguise itself so that it doesn't have to change its perspective. We just need to call it what it is. It's wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I'm not real comfortable with it personally, but... It's okay to be wrong. We just, then when we admit that we're wrong, we have a different perspective than God has. We have at least have empowering justice ourselves to change. Can I tell you, the quicker you get over this ego hurdle, this is a big ego hurdle. And the older you get, the higher the hurdle, by the way. Because you have so much more invested in your perspective and you probably taught it to your children and they're gonna go like this if you have to change your mind. Doesn't matter. The 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 faster you can get over this hurdle, the faster you will get to the other side of this line. We'll talk about this when it comes to the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is really all about He's awesome and I sometimes get it a little wrong. And all I need to do is just get this perspective that says whenever God speaks, I'm listening. Whenever God speaks, He's right. And if I disagree with them, it's not, a, it's not a season for more discussion. God is never going to see it your way. That's just not going to happen. You can talk and talk and talk and talk. Pray, pray hard, yell, scream, run around the church. He's still going to see it his way. So anyway, it's, just a, it's just something to learn. It's prideful and foolish to stubbornly hold on to a perception that is wrong just because you have the right to. Can I tell you, it goes deeper than this. There are eternal ramifications to this, which we don't like to talk about in the kingdom because we're kind of into all the personal self-actualization, everybody's right, hallelujah, y'all feel good? Instead of really being comfortable with the fact that there's eternal ramifications to deciding 
to believe something that you know differs from what God believes. Listen, in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, remember God's talking about that there's no excuse? People want to hide from the fact that there is a God and they'll hide under evolution and all of this modern kind of thinking. But in the end of the day, the more we learn in science, the more we learn that there is no possibility Earth would ever exist except because there is a, there is a you know, as we say, it, an intelligent designer. That's just, there's, you, if, you, if you're in nowadays and you think that the structure of the human body can happen spontaneously all in one moment, you are choosing to deceive yourself or you're just not going to watch any of the YouTube videos anymore because they don't agree with you anymore and so you just don't watch them. You just, there's no, there, this is what God is saying in Romans chapter one. I can look at the world around me and dis, div, divine or, or, or perceive in the world around me the nature of God. And so there's not gonna be an excuse for people to not know God. That's the same problem when it comes to God releasing truth into our lives. And we know that these things are true, but we don't step into them. We just say, ah, you know, I'm good where I am. Like there wasn't a divine purpose in you being here tonight and understanding this year of faith. Because I could have taught about a whole bunch of cool other things. We go end times. Cool. Right? But we, God wants us to learn faith. And it means that we step in and really get there. Remember when Jesus was saying, this is awesome, in Luke chapter 14. Hearing this, when Jesus was speaking beforehand, hearing this, a man sat at the table beside Jesus and he explained, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replies to him and he talks about people being invited to the banquet. Remember when I said before that down here, this is the kingdom of of darkness where most men live it's the kingdom of men in actual fact but remember the garden thing the sin the apple guy he gave his crown over to the kingdom of darkness so men live in the kingdom of darkness which is below this line a world of complete deception the kingdom of of God or the kingdom of heaven is above this line. And so when we are being invited into the, the banquet to get into the kingdom of heaven is not somewhere where we go when we die. The kingdom of heaven, where did Jesus say it is? It's at hand. At hand means it's an English term that refers to right in front of you. And so we realize that when Jesus is inviting us to the banquet, we've misinterpreted him by saying, that means I want to get you to heaven when you die, because that's when we enter the kingdom. That's not true. Jesus went all about preaching and teaching the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, expecting that he was going to invite people into the kingdom of God, which is inviting us to get on this line and push ourselves to the place where we get over to the other side. Because over here is the truth realm where the kingdom of heaven is being expressed in our lives. So Jesus, how many of you know that that parable goes on to tell us about the fact that Jesus invited a whole bunch of people. And do you know what they did? They gave him something called an excuse. I know none of you use those things here, but 
And so he went on and on about saying to this person, you're going to just make a whole bunch of excuses as to why you're not going to get to the other side of that line. It's hard. I can't watch my confessions. I'm just an emotional person. My, my hormones are this, or my bank account is that, or my husband is this, or my kids are... Go on. But in the end of the day, Jesus said that parable because he was trying to get them to realize there are no excuses about this. As you get it delivered to you, what you'll start learning as we get in, when we get by this difficult stuff right now, the personal responsibility of disciplining my soul to do what I require it to do. That's this. You'll see a couple other things as we get down the road a little bit about other disciplines that we must learn, skills that we must learn. But if you don't get this, those other things aren't going to do anything for you. You're just going to get frustrated. In Luke chapter, oh, I did Luke chapter 14. I got a couple that I want you to go to. John chapter 15. Can you go there, verse 22? Can you put the time up there for me? Listen to, John, to, to, to Jesus speaking again. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Why do they have no excuse for doing things in a way different than God would do them? That's what sin is. Sin is not, it's, it's bad stuff for sure. But sin is not sin like we've treated it religiously. Sin is just doing something different than the way God would do it if he did it. And so Jesus said, I have explained to them what the situation is. They didn't sin before when they didn't understand. But now that I've explained it to them, now they're sinning. What happens with us in the kingdom is we take a great risk, even as us as preachers. By me explaining something to you, you may not have understood the nature of the situation. It was still sin and it was still producing misery in your life. Somebody comes to me and they say, well, I want to get rid of this misery. I almost would like them to sign off on like, a, you know, one of those sheets that they get you to do at the, at the go-kart track saying that I'm not responsible for what's about to happen to you if you don't pay any attention to my safety rules. I should do that. Because a lot of times people, they don't want the misery but nor do they want to do what it takes in order to get transformed, in order to get out of the misery. And by me now telling them, oh, you have a financial problem? Well, do you tithe? Well, no, I don't believe in tithing. I think it's passed away in the Old Testament. And so, okay, I'm not gonna push it in that person's life because then I'm gonna make them responsible. Do you see? Now, the only way you're gonna get out is to do that, it's God's clear, but you, it comes with a burden. It comes with a responsibility in the sense that you can't get away from it. Okay, now brace yourself. Are you ready? Are you ready? In James chapter 4, I'm just going to read you some scriptures because I know that it's kind of like we don't want to talk about these things, you know, but I can't teach you what I'm going to teach you if I don't get you to sign off on, this, on the form. Okay. In James chapter 4, verse 17, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you should get your Bible out, you should underline it. And you should put this other scripture right next to it so that you never forget. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, whoever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. 
So if you don't know the right thing to do and you do it, it's not sin in God's eyes. It's still wrong and it still produces misery, still darkness. You still get the misery, you just don't have the responsibility of it. And now I want you to zip over to Hebrews chapter 10 because I know a lot of us are saying, well, thank goodness I can do anything wrong that I want to do because Jesus is my savior and he's the eternal lamb and he's just taking care of all of my issues between me and God. Now you're gonna flip to the book of Hebrews, which is also, by the way, in the New Testament. And it says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately, 26, did I not say sin? Hebrews 10, 26, for if we go on sinning, now get rid of the religious thing there. Sinning is just doing things wrong. Even though we know they're wrong, we still do them. If we go on doing things wrong deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, does anybody have a, does anybody's scripture continue for a minute after that? It says, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for those sins, for doing things wrong. What does that mean? This is a kind of difficult because it, is one of those places where we have just done so much work in the kingdom of God to prove to people that we have the ultimate in responsibility less living. And that is, now that I have Jesus' blood, it died on the cross for me, now I can do whatever I want and there are zero repercussions because of my poor choices. Can I tell you something? Christian to Christian, man to man, man to woman, if you happen to be that. This is, can I tell you why God could forgive you when you came to the Lord? God is not just some ultimate mercy person. God is just as much mercy as he is judgment because mercy and judgment is on the same wheel. So it is merciful to be judgmental. Like when you, when you discipline your children, you're not being judgmental, you're actually being merciful to them, right? Because you don't want them to grow up wrong and end up having real problems in their life. So you correct them and you chastise them and you, it's merciful to do that. Although it looks like judgment to them, it's merciful to you. And so this merciful, and then when a person has a really bad situation happen in their life, it's really merciful for us, even though they deserve judgment because they made their bed, then now they got to lie in it. It's good for us to come along and be merciful in our judgment towards them and get them out of that, right? <clears throat> See, we have not, when we do that, we go all the way to the merciful side and say, you know what, God just forgives me for everything. Be very, very careful with that. One, it's not really talking about sin from a religious point of view. It's talking about sin from a do things wrong. It's talking about staying down here. Even though you know I can get up here. If I just discipline myself and require myself to do it and realize that I'm not going to be forgiven this is, I got too much to teach you here. It does not mean that you are not going to heaven, okay? That's a separate issue. You go to heaven because you believe in Jesus died for your sins and that he made payment for you to get there. But that scripture says there's no longer a sacrifice for somebody who deliberately walks in sin. Why not? When you came to the Lord, you were completely deceived. 
or you did not, maybe you weren't completely deceived, but you couldn't tell the difference between what was true and what was deception. And so God realizing that you don't see the world the way that it actually is. And because you don't see the world the way it actually is, <clears throat> I can't hold you responsible for something you don't know. And so God is able to forgive you because he knows you didn't know what you were doing. It's like if I came over here and said, Mike, can you do me a favor? Can you go slap Alex on the face? And so Mike wanders over there and he slaps Alex on the face. Who should Alex blame? He should blame, should he blame Mike? Mike is just submitting to his father-in-law who he loves dearly. And he's doing what his father-in-law asked him to do. So he goes over and slaps Alex. Alex can go, dude, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, your dad told me to do it. So he's going to easily forgive Mike, uh, me? I'm in trouble. He's going to come to me and go like, dude, what are you, what's up with you? Why would you do that? That's the problem is God's problem is with the devil. Hello? God's problem is with the devil. Whoever that person might be. Not the person who got deceived by the devil and did something wrong. Okay. What if Mike decided now, that was pretty cool actually, that I got to go do that and it felt really nice. And so the next time he does it, he does it on his own, knowing that he hurts Alex when he goes and slaps him. Now who is Alex mad at? By, and also me, because I taught him this bad habit. But now he's got a really good reason to be mad at Mike. Isn't that true? That's what God is talking about here is that as human beings, we cannot step into this deliberateness of our sinning. And that starts with our confession. How many of you know where liars go? Does any of you mothers know where liars go? Right? Liars are people who say things that aren't true. Say la. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Liars are people who say things that aren't true. So if you, your mouth is saying things that aren't true, then you are... How many of you have really thought that, okay, what I want to do is be a liar? That's, what, that's really my objective in life. No, you see, this is where it becomes complex to us because God is saying, if I say you're healed and you say you're sick, you're sinning. And you leave here and say, I'm going to deliberately sin from now on because every time I get sick, I want to have lots of pity. So I'm going to tell people how sick I am all the time. How are you? Well, <laughs> you should sit down because I've got a long list. We've made it, we've made it, we've made it a lifestyle to talk about our past, for example. And I said to somebody the other day, he said, your past is like yesterday's weather. We don't talk about it anymore, right? It's like nobody, you don't put yesterday's weather in the newspaper. It's just nothing. It's just let it go. It's over. It's gone. And so we have to learn these skills when it comes to living, when we understand this is what Jesus was talking about. We've majored on this go to heaven when you die thing. Yeah, go to heaven when you die for sure. I don't think you should go anywhere else but heaven. 
But when Jesus was here, he was trying to get human beings to understand how to get heaven here, not how to get us there. Does that make some sense? And we have to reinterpret now, and I know that I'm stepping on a bunch of religious you know, belief systems and all of this type of stuff. We have to do this. At least I feel like I have to, to be responsible to you, to help you to understand this is a very responsible thing that I'm doing to help you to understand what it means to walk by faith. That you don't throw your pearls to people who aren't going to listen and do the right thing with them. And they're going to tread them into the earth. When you find a treasure, the word of God, a truth, you're supposed to sell everything you have. I'm so busy, I don't have time to, you know, I'm just, I don't have time to meditate, you know, I'm so busy, I just can't, I don't have time to read my Bible. You know, you, you, it's, life has filled up. God says, trade everything, particularly in the beginning, because all of this is dung. We should trade all of this for one of these. As Christians, this would be a wide, wise move. If I gave you an absolutely for sure investment, man, sell everything you have. I remember when I had the, you know, when General Motors stopped loaning money to buy their cars. I was driving down Ontario Street. I could take you to the exact, exact spot. I, I called Alex on the phone and I said, Alex, we should sell everything we, can, we got and short General Motors stock. We would have done really well since they went broke about four months later. And you see, when you got a sure bet, you sell everything you have. Can I tell you something? The Word of God is a sure bet. The Word of God is your ticket to the world that you were designed to live in. The question is simply, are we going to be those people that reorganize everything about our lives to the place where this becomes my single priority. Not only because it transforms my life and my generations after me, but because God has taken an extraordinary risk in giving me this information. Because now, by giving me the information, imagine, I'm sorry, you guys got anywhere to go? Could you imagine when God said to Adam and Eve, don't touch that tree. What did he do? He put bullets in the devil's gun. Because as soon as you say one plus one equals two, the next guy can go, no, it equals 44. There's a consequence to me telling you, the, God telling you the truth. And that is that deception now has the power to make a counterfeit. There's no counterfeit if there's not an original. Do you understand? So God takes an extraordinary risk when he comes to you with information that is the truth. Because then he must require of you that you use that truth responsibly. And so when God tells you, this is my perspective, and we choose to ignore his perspective, ignore his way of seeing the situation, which we have become culturally very used to doing. We really create a big problem for ourselves. And so I'm stopping here. Thank you, Lord.